0: You're listening to a message from Severe Heights. To learn more about us, go to www.severeheights.org. On behalf of this morning, I want to begin with a very random question. I want you to consider this. If you could live any place at any time other than the future, all right, where, when, and why would you live there? I want you to consider this. I've asked this question multiple times this past week through um, different groups, through individuals. And there have been a few periodic answers, like I'd like to be alive in the first century. Uh, Some have said uh, during the Middle Ages, some have made comments about the 1700s, 1800s, like uh, cowboys and Native Americans. I remember as a kid, I wanted to be in that group um, and I would paint my face and my family would always say, you cannot be an Indian, you have to be a cowboy, you are too pale, And, and so I remember like, I would have to take it off and be the other guy. Um, uh, some would say that. Some might say, like, the 1920s in New York City, like, fascinating time. But the vast majority, like, like myself included, the vast majority of us picked now and right here. Now, why would we say, okay, if I could live anywhere at any time, I'd pick now and right here. Well, I'm going to give you a few reasons. Number one, indoor plumbing. Any fans? <laughs> Word. All right. Uh, number two, the ability to travel. Back then doesn't matter let's say it was like 120 years ago or whatever uh for the most part speed was determined by a horse as fast you could go if you think through how we travel today and they had any idea of how we travel today they would think it's borderline science fiction medical breakthrough you know it wasn't until around 1960 that they developed a bypass surgery for hearts I think about my dad's dad and he passed away in his 50s had multiple heart attacks but back then they would take him to the hospital, give them aspirin, and send him home. How about the ability to video chat? I'm not talking Zoom. I'm talking just with family on the phone. And you get to see a family or a friend that lives hundreds, if not a thousand miles away. So most of us, if we could pick anywhere, we'd say right here, right now. It's because, let's be candid. It's because there's a little bit of happiness tied to luxurious living in 2023, especially in America. Don't believe me? This is how we get our water, right? Compared to many across the world, they get their water this way. Understand? Like when we answer the question, we're pressing in not just about now, but but right here, right now. Today, I want you to consider on this message about the heart of the matter. Compared to the rest of the world, we're pretty well to do. Compared to the rest of the world, we're well off. Compared to the rest of the world. Uh, It might be true, and it is, that many of us are wealthy. Now, some in this room are borderline struggling financially, and some might be close to poverty level, but the vast majority, when we look at ourselves compared to the rest of the world, we're doing all right. Now, big question on behalf of today, why is it so important for you and I to be aware of this? Well, we're going to open up to a passage of Scripture, and we're going to see there are instructions given to a specific demographic. 1 Timothy 1, verse 17, teach those who are rich in this world. Now, we're tempted to think, I think he's probably talking about someone other than me. Because there's someone else that's always doing better than me. Whether it's a car, maybe it's an apartment, maybe it's a house, maybe it's clothes. Like, like we think they're rich. We never think that we're doing all right. But compared to the rest of the world, I think we're one of those people. And the context in which Paul is writing this passage in 1 Timothy 6, Paul is writing to a pastor named Timothy that is leading a church in the city of Ephesus. Ephesus is a port city. It is a hub for transportation, but also a hub for sales. It's the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire at this time. So think perhaps like New York City or Hong Kong. To give you an idea how advanced they were in the years, look at this picture of the theater in Ephesus in the first century. It would seat twenty to 25,000 people in the first century. And we're fascinated today with Thompson Bowling Arena. I mean, imagine the first century. So, so this is a place where mathematicians, engineers, uh, contractors, masons, all these different people would gather, and it was an affluent society. On, on behalf of this, this was also a place where people, people exchanged goods, and you could buy whatever you wanted. Like in the center of Ephesus, there was this area for shopping. It was an outdoor area with stores to the side. It was like two football fields side by side. So if you wanted purple cloth from Thyatira, if you wanted the latest fashion from Rome, if you wanted jewelry from Egypt, if you wanted spices from the far east, this was the place that you would go. Now, here's the good news. It's in the first century. The good news, the message of Jesus Christ's crucifixion and his resurrection from the dead had traveled to Ephesus. And so Timothy is leading Ephesus. And on behalf of that, the older pastor, Paul, is writing a letter to the younger pastor, Timothy. And Paul is teaching Timothy how to teach the wealthy, like compared to the rest of the world. Now think about this. This isn't a message for wealthy people living in Ephesus. This is a message for wealthy followers of Jesus in Ephesus. So it intrigues my curiosity I'm wondering, why would the rich be singled out for specialized training, specialized coaching, specialized discipleship and instruction? Like, like, why would he focus in on that demographic in all seriousness? Why would the younger pastor, Timothy, need to speak into the wealthier segment of the congregation and give them this specialized training? I am going to tell you why. Don't forget this. Our finances aren't always friendly when it comes to faith. Meaning there is a gravitational pull when you and I do okay. When we live in a affluent, consumer-driven, materialistic society. There's this gravitational pull that tugs us away from God, away from humility, away from taking care of others. Um, You have to remember this. As wealth climbs in an affluent culture, there is a propensity to drift from God. In in the last series, Rows, Rooms, and Recliners, we made a couple statements that shape today. The more we have... The more we want. It's just kind of part of how we operate. And understand this, we made this statement in the series, we will never have enough of what we don't need. So if you have 20 pairs of shoes, 40 is not going to be enough. Yet we live in this cycle as humans. As a follower of Jesus, we live in this cycle, and we're constantly struggling with the tension between our stuff and God. So today, on behalf of this message, since we drift— Since we're doing okay financially compared to the rest of the world, even though there's different segments of people in this room that that make different different amounts of income, we're all well-to-do compared to the rest of the world. I want to ask a question. What is it that we're supposed to do? Well, what happens in the text is Paul is going to address three issues in particular to tell Timothy to tell the wealthy followers of Jesus at that church. And on behalf of us compared to the rest of the world, we're doing all right. I want to bring out these three questions, and I want to examine them specifically on behalf of our heart. Number one, Paul asks the question, where's your hope? Listen to 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. Command those who are rich, teach those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Anybody agree? But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything, For our enjoyment. So he's talking two big extremes. He's asking the question, where are you putting your hope? He said, you can put it in your stuff, your finances. It's so uncertain. Or you can put it in God, the giver of all the stuff. Now think about the stuff that you have, like whether it's bank accounts or savings or investments or a house or cars, uh, even the toys that we have. I want you to think about how it's easy for us over time to put our hope in the accumulation of stuff. We've introduced this word before. Think about it. On behalf of it, it is something you are driven for. It, it is something that you saved by. It, it is something that you're fixated on. The Bible talks about contentment on behalf of it. Contentment is recognizing you know what? I would like it, and it would be nice. I might even save, enough, save up enough money to buy it. I'm okay with it. I'm okay without it. But I don't need it in order to be whole. Contentment, according to the Bible, is a gut check. It's asking you and I as a follower of Jesus, okay, why are you fixated in placing your hope on it? Follow, if I get it, follow it with these two words, because then. Like, if I get it, once I get it, because then, and you follow through. Like, let's say there are guys in this room that want to be a millionaire. Millionaire, net worth by the age of 30, 35. Follow it up. Okay, once I get it, I want it because then... play through the scenario well then I'll have enough you'll never have enough like we're always driven for more and be careful that when you think that you'll have enough when we chase money and we make it our goal understand that there is a twisted thinking with finances meaning if you're not careful and don't check it instead of thinking I'll have enough it's equivalent to thinking on accident I'll be enough and there's a slow twist. Like, like if I become a millionaire in my 30s, then, then, then I'll be enough. Well, Or maybe there's a, a chance the it is tied to a neighborhood. And we're circling neighborhoods, trying to find a neighborhood, a bigger, better version, because that neighborhood seems to have it together. And our neighborhood doesn't. Is there a chance that you're putting your hope in an address? Or maybe it's a position or ownership of a company, or, or maybe just a new uh, vice president role, or manager, and you're thinking, man, once I have it, because if I don't have it, I'm equivalent. I, like, if I get it, I'll be equivalent to someone. But here's the question I want to press in on. Does that mean that if you lose it, if it's taken away from you, you're no one? Understand, like, once we chase it and we put our hope in stuff, hope in it, it's twisted thinking that leads to a downfall. Now, there's nothing wrong with the stuff. There's nothing wrong with it. According to Paul, we just need to put it in its place. And it might be a nice house, a great car, an incredible career opportunity, but it will make for a, a super unreliable God. You think about it it is not my security, it's not my safety, it's not my identity, and it's not my hope. On behalf of it if you put it in place this truth speaks volumes for people in the process of losing things like for the vast majority of us some of this it stuff will be pulled from us some of it is not even reality some of it we will never get or it could be taken from and when it is never gotten by us truth be told we will feel sad we will feel disappointment We might even get discouraged. But from a biblical perspective, when he says, where's your hope? Whatever it is, it does not have to end you. Because whatever it is, it didn't make you. So contrast this way of thinking, putting our hope in stuff, our wealth, our finances. Paul says, don't do that because it's so uncertain. Anybody looked, let's say you're saving money, you've got investments. Anybody looked in the last few years at what's happened? Uh, Paul's like, that's not new. It happened then. Like, it's always so uncertain. But he contrasts it with putting your hope in God. Verse 17 continues, but put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. It's the difference between putting our hope in it, the stuff, versus putting our hope in the giver of it, the giver of stuff. Reminds me of Hebrews 13. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God said, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. This is the difference between putting your hope in stuff and putting your hope in God. So according to Paul, according to scripture, as a follower of Jesus, it's not what I have. It's who has me. It's not what I own. It's who owns me. And it's not what I bought. It's who bought me. And by the way, I love how Paul mentions the giver of all good gifts in 1 Timothy 6. He gives us everything, he says, for our enjoyment. Now I want you to consider that for a second. Does that surprise you? Like some of the things that God gives us because we're doing all right compared to the rest of the world, he gives it for our enjoyment. So so consider a great meal. Like you get this great meal and you're blessed to sit down and have it. Hey, guess what? According to God, enjoy it. Or maybe somewhere close to your house, like you've got access to a trail, access to a walkway, access to a place to ride your bike that's kind of private, meaning you can go to somewhere and just kind of enjoy, decompress, not be consumed with people. That's a luxury. Enjoy it. Or maybe you have the privilege of going to the beach. Perhaps it's in the winter, the spring, the summer, whatever. And you've saved up your money. You found a place. You found a niche. And it is beautiful. Enjoy it. Or maybe around the corner, like, you have the opportunity, this is a great joy of mine, to go to a concert. And you finally get to go to this concert. And you saved. You spent. You did all this stuff. Guess what God's saying? Enjoy it. Here's the issue. Enjoy it. Just don't put your hope in it. Because your hope in that stuff is just so uncertain. Some years it works out, some years it won't. And for many, it may never work out or it may be taken from you. So the first question on the issue of the heart is where's your hope? Question number two is where do you serve? Like where do you consistently, faithfully, humbly use your gifts? Listen to verse 18. Paul says to Timothy, to tell Ephesus, hey, command them to do good to be rich in good deeds on behalf of this first it doesn't feel like it's about generosity with money it feels like it's about generosity with our time like timothy will you do me a favor and teach those that are doing all right especially compared to the rest of the world to do good in good deeds now in a passage that's so far addressed kind of money you have to ask the question why is this here Like, why did Paul choose to leave this in this spot? I believe because it's, I think it's in a consumer-driven, materialistic culture. It is easy to think over time. You know, it's kind of all about me. I mean, you think about the people that have lots of money, that have lots of stuff, and you compare it to all of us, who, compared to the rest of the world, we've got stuff. Eventually, over time, it's all about me. And when I learned to serve... Humble service is anti-arrogance training, meaning it's putting the needs of others ahead of myself. It trains the channels of my heart to think clearly about my stuff. Today will be the third time I've asked this question since last October. On behalf of serving, who are you looking out for? I mean, at your house, there's always an empty table that you can invite someone that needs help. In your life, there's always someone like riding a bike. Remember what it was like to ride a bike and someone walked beside you or ran beside you until you got your balance? There's someone in your life that that you can serve and you can honor their initiative. And I'm so thankful beyond words for the people that are part of this church that love to serve. People like Harold, who serves as a host team member, and he's held babies in that room for over 40 years. He goes in there every week to hold babies. Put on a smock, this white, this white jacket. And years ago, someone thought he was a doctor because of it. And he's just a first timer. Didn't want to get vomit on his shirt. So, so, so I thank people. Thank God for people like Harold. I thank God for people like Tina, that work with Host Team Central, for Taylor that work in the parking lot and lead a group, for Bob and Barbara singing the choir, that hold kids, and Bob that serves as a deacon, for Charlie and Jay who serve out in the parking lot every week, and the stories of people that had that been told to me that those two made a difference when people were first walking into this church that felt overwhelming. I'm thankful for people like Price and Cheryl and Melanie, Carol, so many others that volunteer their time and serve on Sunday nights late for the walk with popcorn and other foods providing it for students. I'm thankful for Thurman and Terry, for Jimmy and Mike, For Pat, who works with Next Steps and helps participate in a great ministry of the church called Women of Grace, where women are taking care of widows at this church and in the community. Let me tell you what about all those people. When they serve, what they're doing is great for other people. But when you serve, you give your time, it's also great for your soul. And according to Paul, when you serve, it is also a type of training. It reminds my heart again and again and again that it's not all about me. So, on behalf of your heart, pick something or somewhere that you can consistently serve. Maybe it's Wednesdays, maybe it's Sundays, maybe it's Mondays. Find a pattern for this. And not just because it's our way of serving the world, because it's a way of protecting our hearts where we start to slowly think, you know what, in this society, it's kind of all about me. I promise you, you got somebody that's all about me. They are not investing their time in others. So the three issues, number one is, where's your hope? Is it in money or is it in God? Um, where are you serving? Because wherever you serve, it's a reminder that it's not about, it's not all about you. And number three he presses in, where are you sharing? Listen to the second half of verse 18. He said, command him to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. The last point was tied to time, and this point is tied to wealth. On behalf of giving, throughout the Bible, but especially in the New Testament, there is a biblical approach at giving. There is advice that you will find in Scripture that requires intentional thinking. I want to highlight just a few simple ones. Number one, pick a percentage of your income, meaning this is not mine to spend. So you sit down with your spouse or with your family or by yourself and you think through a budget and say, okay, this percentage, it is not mine to spend. So pick a percentage. Number two, choose a frequency. Choose a frequency in which you're going to consistently give. Remember how Jesus showed us the cumulative effect of consistency again and again and again and again? The same takes place with giving, whether it's every pay period, whether it's once a month, whether it's every time I close a deal. Find a frequency. And then number three, start immediately. Like start as soon as possible. And don't say, okay, six months from now. Don't say when we get things together. Otherwise, your generosity will get placed on the pile of well Intentioned delay. So pick a percentage, choose a frequency, and start immediately. Now, on behalf of people in this room, I know some of you enjoy sharing a spontaneous gift, and it's beautiful. You find a need, you hear about a need, you meet that need, and it is incredible. But on behalf of the Bible, continue that, but make sure that's the tip of the iceberg, like the top of the pyramid, the dessert at the end of a meal. Because understand that you and I may have done something for someone. Let's say it was a month ago. Let's say it was six months ago. Understand, we're not sure. We think it's going to happen again. But we did it then. And on accident, because when we saw that need and we met that need, it might have been a few months ago. But because of that, it's easy to think we're generous with our money. Because we've had some simple, generous moments. So half of like spontaneous stuff. Do it. But biblically, as a follower of Jesus, it should be on top of regular, disciplined, systematic, generous giving. And by the way, because it's a hard issue, it's not because you have to, it's because you want to. And when it comes to giving, it will always be challenging. Remember last week when we talked about our recliner time? I said there's always gonna be competition. When it comes to giving, It'll always be challenging. I want to let you in on Jenny and I's story. Uh, We were married in 2000. And when we first got married, we were both doing grad work. um, And I had been hired as the youth pastor here. And at that time, we were struggling to make ends meet. Uh, I don't care to tell you, our salary for full time back in then was $22,000 a year. And we were still going to get our master's. And she and I made a commitment back then. You know what? This first 10% of what we bring home, it's God's. Like, it's, it's not ours. We decided we were going to give that 10% and then we were going to save a percentage. Obviously, the government was going to get their chunk and then we would live on the rest. I remember the first time when I was 15. Y'all remember like your first pay up? I don't know, you know. Some people don't get them now or you don't look at them. I remember looking at it. I was thinking about, I'm going to make this amount of money, and then I got my check. I'm like, what happened there? Who's this FICA guy? Like, you know, like, the thing about government is they get to go ahead and take it, right? But on behalf of God, we've got to decide, you know what, I'm I'm going to gift this. And Jenny and I decided up front, okay, 10% of everything we make is going to the local church. Because that's God's plan for changing the world. And I will tell you, we give above and beyond sacrificially to other ministries. But we set aside an automatic 10% up front because it's God's plan for the world. By the way, people that argue with me about tithing and a tenth, they typically don't give. They're always on the Bible. Okay, I was talking to the guy that uh, cuts my hair last night. He, he made a statement about it, and uh, he, he said he's a tither and all these things. I don't, I don't know, but he said it. And he, I said, you know what's funny? I, I'm like... Tithing is really an issue of the heart and it's generosity. I said, Suppose tonight after the haircut, I give you 10% of this haircut. You gonna say I'm generous? He said, No. I said, Exactly. On behalf of tithing, like 10% is just a beautiful starting point. Now you say, Tim, when you think of this, when these words occur to you about me and learning to tithe at this local church, and I've done it for 20, 30, 40, I've done it all this window, you might say, You know what? Generous, faithful consistent, obedient. And you're right. But that's not necessarily the word that I think of when I think of tithing. Can I tell you the word that I think of with tithing for me and Jen and our family? Stuck. Periodically, I'm like, (laughs) it's just been stuck. Like, I, I ought to get stretched, stretch my heart muscle and increase it a percentage two percentage three percentage and then when the season happens i go back to 10 just to show god up front this is where my heart is it ebbs and flows on the seasons but because of the heart we want to give them up front and i'm gonna tell you this i have learned the faithfulness of god in so many ways and i told you when i first got hired guys it was already 100 percent challenge to live on 100 percent of the wealth let alone 90 percent um Embarrassing, but I don't care to tell it. Like when we first got married, I, I, I made the mistake of not going to the dentist in college. Anybody else do that? Um, we didn't have health insurance when I first got hired here full time, or dental insurance. We had health, not dental. I finally went to the dentist. I had to have six root canals. Imagine that. And Jenny and I thought about well, what if we cut here, cut here? We were going to honor the tie that was holy and set apart out of nowhere. I don't even know how they knew someone stepped up and surprised us and took care of it financially. I'll never forget there was a season when we had a stupid washer that was not working and washers are expensive. And I remember uh, it's like it, it broke wide open the day that this washer ate, I mean ate, Jenny's favorite shirt. Like she had this shirt that she loved and, and uh, it was done. we're like, okay, what are we going to do? And we sit down and we're like, look how much we're giving to the local church compared to what we make. And there were times that we would consider going beneath that number. I remember, I remember specifically, like, thinking through this, and it was crazy because we were like, we, we could go under because in a few months we could get that washer. It was crazy. Our neighbors moved, and they said, hey, we, we got a washer we want to give you guys. I'm telling you, like, when you, you taste and see that he's good, like, like, it's a beautiful thing that unfolds. And periodically, even though we're stuck, it's like, okay, can we stretch ourselves? Some of you guys are stuck. Like, on behalf of this church, let me kind of tell you what happens when a church transitions pastors. There's always people that leave. Like, churches tend to be plus 10, minus 10 the age of their pastor. It's just kind of a trend that takes place. Over the years, what started to happen, and you saw this when we had this church conference today. You saw a group of people that have left, and they found other churches because perhaps they just didn't like this, didn't like me, whatever it is. But God is blessing them at other places, and that's what matters, the local church. But you also have people that are part of this church that have been generous and following Jesus for a while, but now they're on fixed income. Not able to give as much as they did back in the day and it's drastically changed because they're older. But let me tell you what's special about what's going on right here. Guys, we have an influx. I mean, attendance has climbed big time. We have an influx of those in the 20s, 30s and 40s. Like today alone, we'll have 16 baptisms. These are people that are coming to know Jesus that their, their hearts are getting shaped in the row of the room in the recliner. It's crazy. I was talking to a group of leadership this past week with about 50, 60 people that are a little bit older. And I asked them, I said, how many of you guys grew up in church? All the hands went up. And then I said, how many of you guys learned this thing about tithing and being generous to God when you were a kid? All the hands go up. I said, now imagine this. We have couples, families, individuals that have not been in church that are now starting to go to church in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. It's just not the same. They're learning to trust Jesus and that right there is the issue on why Paul told Timothy in Ephesus when they got the good news of Jesus, hey, remind them, teach the wealthy. On behalf of the heart, where's your hope? Are you serving? Because it reminds you it's not about you. And when are you giving? Guess what? And it's all tied to your heart. On behalf of today, I can't tell you specifically what to do. I can't prescribe to you and your family a lifestyle level that God wants for you. I can't tell you how much to give, spend, and save. In fact, I'm not sure for some of you, I've even given some great answers today. Because some of these things are like multidimensional on behalf of you and versus me. And even though I am possibly struggling in some of those areas, can I tell you this? I still think God has exposed today through his word a few great questions. Because we're doing better than everybody else in the room. Where's your hope? Where are you serving? When are you giving? I mean, this is an issue of the heart. I've asked Doug to come up here for the end of the message today, and we just want to talk practically just for a few seconds. Kind of about the concept on practically how it plays out and, um, and what it looks like.
1: You know, every week we remind you about ways to give, but this morning has been a powerful reminder about why we give. At the heart of the message, Tim has reminded us of the simple, simple principle that growing in our relationship with Jesus means we have to grow in our relationship with time and with money. But here's what I know about growth. It's never easy, and it never happens on accident. Growth comes when we make intentional decisions to make a change in our life. And with that in mind, I'm really grateful for the intentional steps that Tim gave us in the message. And I think it's important we just pause and go back and look at those. He said, concerning your time and serving, pick something or somewhere that you can consistently serve someone else. Maybe." This is the moment you're like, it's time I start investing my time in serving. Did you know it takes 700 volunteers a week for our church to function the way it functions? That means there's a place for you. You can hold a door, you can hold a baby, you can help with students. There's a million things you can do. You say, well, I don't even know how to get involved. Just go to Next Steps out in the lobby, see one of our staff or stop by this little room when the door opens after the service and just say, I'm ready to start serving. Or maybe it's time for you to make generosity your norm. It's time for you to start sharing more. Concerning sharing, Tim said this, pick a percentage of your income, choose a frequency to give, and start immediately. I know when I come face-to-face with a decision like this, there's a few things I need. The very first thing I need is I just need a moment to stop and think. Now, I don't need too long because I will talk myself out of anything, but I do need a moment just to stop and think and process. And we're gonna do that in our service right now during our last song, we're just going to ask you to stay seated during the first part of the song and just listen to the words and just ask God, is there anything you're calling me to say yes to? Is there anything you're calling me to respond to right now in my life concerning my time and my money? The second thing that has to happen for me is I actually have to make the decision. When he tells me what to do, I've already put the yes on the table. I have to respond and make that decision. And I'm going to tell you what probably is happening in the room. As Tim and I have talked and prayed all week about this moment, probably some of you for the very first time are coming in contact with this. And it's your very first time you've needed to say yes, and that's awesome. We want to help you. Others of you said yes a long time ago, and the schedule got tight, and the budget got tight, and suddenly you just sort of accidentally said no, and you just stopped, and now the schedule and budget aren't so tight, and it's time for you to restart that yes. We can help you with that too. But for many of you in the room, your yes is already on the table, and God's calling you to one step further. He's saying, hey, I know this is what you give, but it's time to add 1%, 2%, 5%, maybe even more. And we would love to help you do that. You know, the last thing that I need after I've had a moment to think, I've made the decision, is I just need a meaningful reminder of what I've done. And we have a gift for you today as you leave, we have some bracelets. They'll be located at all the doors. We just ask that you take one so we have enough for the walk tonight. And we had a little simple statement put on these bracelets. It says this, how's your heart? It doesn't say, how's your serving? It doesn't say, how's your giving? Because remember, at the heart of serving and giving is our heart. So it says, how's your heart? And we'd like to invite you to take one of those. Tim, I know this has kind of been an important thing for you. you push for us to get to do this this week you want to explain why it's been so important yeah
0: i think i told you last week on the message about recliners it's kind of the place where i center myself and i ask at the beginning of the day okay god how is my heart it's a place where god shapes me and if i sit there long enough he shapes me to look more and more like jesus it's that total renovation like the build the, the tear down and the build up understand that like this today's topic is still a heart issue now, we're going to tackle a heart issue in a beautiful way next week, but this week it just stands out. It's like, for those of you that are in this room and you're generous, understand this is, today is just a reminder for you. It's not like we're bribing you or getting to do more. There are others in this room, though, that have never done it. It's part of the process, and it all goes back to, how is my heart? And understand this is the one place, the primary place, that God wants to shape to make us more like him. I'd like to close us in prayer. Father, I thank you for today. Thank you for the ability to open the Bible and to see what you have to say about our stuff. God, I'm super thankful that we got a sneak peek at a letter that Paul writes to Timothy to tell the wealthy followers of Jesus compared to the rest of the world in Ephesus on how to respond on their stuff. God, help us in this room to know that there's a lot of deception, self-deception going on in the room right now. Or we can just sit here and think this is the point. Okay, we heard this. And something happens between the row and our residence. It's easy to forget. It's even more easy to forget to do it. So I pray that we would consider this week, when we look at this bracelet, we would, we would examine the current condition of our heart. We would think, through, okay, where is my hope? Is it in stuff that's so uncertain or is it in God? We think through our time, like, like, where am I serving? Where am I putting the needs of others ahead of myself? Because it's a reminder. It trains my heart to know it's not all about me. And then, when am I giving? God, there's this beautiful parallel with a generous church and generous people. This is your plan A for changing the world. This is your plan A for shaping hearts toward eternity, for communicating the message of the crucified and risen Savior. I pray that we would see the significance of the gifts that we give and how much they matter. I pray all of these things today in Jesus' name.